0: Thank you, just John and the team leading us in uh, this early in the morning. I just love uh, that you missed your cue, too. I was the one, I was the one hackling out there, and uh, the this, is so cozy too. yeah. Isn't this guy just a beautiful heart? Like, man, yeah. Oh man, yeah. How you doing, buddy?
1: Dude, I'm doing good. Uh, welcome. Uh, good morning, Impact Church. A uh, nine o'clock service. You guys feeling good? Yeah. Awesome. Man, what a spectacular time just to worship God and yeah. to gather together.
0: Yeah, this guy has been with us now a little over three months. Uh, came in the month of August.
1: I made it this far.
0: And you've made it through a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's exciting for me just for you to be introduced. You've done announcements a little bit and been on different teams along the way, mm-hmm. but so excited to have you here, give you an opportunity to share on something you're really, really passionate about. And it happens to be part of your job here as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty exciting. We're in the book of Acts. We're in our seventh week um, in the book of Acts and we're coming to a part of the book of Acts that's really, really beautiful. Like we wouldn't be here unless this little conversation happened between five guys Mm -hmm. in Acts chapter 13, um, because there were a decision that they were making, whether they were just gonna kind of stay put, stay comfortable, um, be in their little holy huddle, um, us four and no more, us five and no more kind of a situation. And uh, they didn't decide to do that. They decided to do the disruptive, uncomfortable thing. And that was to multiply. Mm. Um, In Acts chapter one, all the way to Acts chapter 13, beautiful things were happening. The church was coming alive. The early church was full of fire, vim and vigor. It was very, very powerful, but something not so good was happening. I remember my uh, professor called it koinonesis, which is the disease of koinonia. And koinonia (laughs) is fellowship. You'll notice when you come in to our building, it says, does anybody know the two phrases when you're coming into the building that are up against, up on, on the top as you're coming in? I'm glad that's been effective over the last four years. (laughs) I think
1: they just didn't come prepared for a pop quiz. (laughs) Missionally.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I do pop quizzes. It's another one and one another. The disease of one another is we get so comfortable being with each other that we don't really want to add another one anymore mm. because when you add another one, the variable of another one disrupts the one another that you have, and there's a risk in that. we will never stop in all of our one anotherness stop having a heart for the outsider to reach another one
1: yeah.
0: and I hope if you're in a life group that it doesn't kind of get to the point where it's like, I just like who we have and the one anotherness we've got that you will never let in another person. Mm. Another one has to always be a part of one another. And what's crazy is Jesus in Acts chapter one, verse eight, said to them, declared to them, mandated together. We love mandates, don't we now? Mandated to them, wait for the Holy Spirit because I want you to go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the outer parts of the world you've never been to before. And for nine years, the disciples stayed in Jerusalem. That would like be Jesus coming to us, preaching this morning and saying, okay, for Lowell, love you guys, love the town of Lowell. This place is awesome. You've got parades, you've got fireworks, you've got you know, a Thursday night summer concert series. You've got a lot of stuff going on here. We love our community. Um, it's really beautiful. But I want you to make sure you're gonna reach Saranac and Ionia all the way to Lansing. And we get so comfortable here that we're like, I really don't care about Saranac. And some of you actually might feel that here. I have no idea. But how many are from Saranac? We got a lot of people from Saranac here. Can we just welcome them here? They're a part of us. Welcome the Nakians. Well, yes, the Saranacians <laughs> are here. And what's really amazing is for nine years, the disciples didn't leave Jerusalem. They're like, thanks Jesus, but uh, appreciate you pushing us out of our comfort zone. We wanna stay. In Jerusalem. And it wasn't until about 12 years that Peter preached in Caesarea and the first Gentile came to know Jesus. Mm. So all the way from this great commission, go into the world, make disciples of all the nations. They're like, nope, we're staying in Jerusalem because we really like it here. We like the one another, we don't wanna add another one. And all the way in Acts chapter 13, they begin to say, nope, we gotta get uncomfortable. We're starting to send people out to reach people outside of Jerusalem. And our church was founded on that 20 years ago. Yeah. And that's why we brought this guy in because really, We've killed ourselves. We used to do this and it's been over 12 years since we've sent anyone from our church to reach someone in a nearby community and planted a church.
1: Jason, could you share a little bit? Um, I know multiplication is one of our six values as as a church. So this was a foundational principle when y'all were first starting to get this ball rolling. Um, could you share about what that looked like in the early stages, the first 10 years of how we, in that context, multiplied?
0: Yeah, you're 28 years old. I'm 20. I was eight. You were eight years old.
1: At the, at the time. I was probably about this tall, and I was... Uh, probably
0: making my mother crazy yes and this guy's from Lowell graduated from Lowell in 2013 so we've been doing this you were eight years old and multiplication was just a part of our church in fact when we first started we were going to plant three churches in five years and 10 churches in 10 years we've since planted 48 churches all the way both locally regionally nationally and internationally now I love clapping, but we give 10% of everything you give to church planning and church multiplication. That's why that's occurred. It has been 11 years since we've sent anyone from this place to plant a church, and that hurts. Mm-hmm. It's easier to give money as resources than human resources to send out your best and your brightest, and that's what they did in this passage. And so we're trying to like reheat up our original missional mindset that we're gonna continue to multiply and not just multiply churches somewhere else, to reproduce ourselves. And so Max was brought on uh, three months ago to hold our feet to the fire. Like, we don't even have a job description for you. We are hiring you experimentally, explorationally to chase after something because we have been resting on our laurels around here. He was actually here with Jesse, and it was going back and forth whether we were gonna hire him as our youth pastor um, or hire Jesse, and you got beat out by Jesse. How does yeah. that feel?
1: Well, I'm glad that you hired the better looking of us for the youth pastor position because uh, Jesse's been killing it in the student I, ministry. Yeah,
0: I, I think you're pretty good looking. Uh, yeah, um, I,
1: I, you know, Actually, I, I his hair's but...
0: long enough this morning, I tucked it behind his ear like that. I've only ever done that to my wife, so that's a, <laughs> you're in a small circle of people. But well, thank you. Thank are you, you. going to grow a, like a ponytail? Like Tony, our children's master pastor, has a... a <laughs> children's pastor? <children's>, <laughs> he's our children's pastor. I don't think I'll go as long as Tony. I did actually, I was rocking a man bun for a little bit,
1: and I got to a point where I was like, you know... This just keeps getting in my mouth. And when hair gets in your mouth. But you are it's time one step it.
0: away this week from shaving this down and getting a good old Elto mullet. Oh, yeah. Yes. I was thinking about it. How many think he should it? have a mullet on our staff? We Put don't have one. There's, Put your hands down. Put your hands down. I think that needs to happen. I just lost some friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but as we were hiring this guy, uh, I digress. Um, it was clear this guy was intelligent, had a great heart just completed his master's degree um, and loves systems and strategies and structures and is just so gifted by God, but has a pastor's heart Hmm. as well. And we're like, we need to hire him for something futuristically to keep us, you know, on mission here as a church. And God was doing something in your life at the same time, even though you were looking at other churches to go to youth ministry. Uh, you had a mentor that said something to you.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, my experience, I, my last church I served at for about eight years um, in student ministry, and it was just a blessing to be a part of a church like this one that is, a, it has a mentality of multiplication and a heart for sending people out. And so as I was beginning to process, I think God has something new in store for my wife and I in our ministry calling. Um, I, in in my mind, I was like, that's it's going to be something student ministry. I'm going to go um, go lead students, um, go lead students. Somewhere, and we were doing like a national national search agency, um, looking at churches all across the country um, and these student ministry positions. I had a mentor, another pastor who is highly respected in the Grand Rapids area. He's the guy. Anytime I talk to a pastor who's been in Grand Rapids for a while, and I throw his name out, they either know him or they know him and have been in an accountability group with him um, because that's just who he is. So he pulls me aside one day. He's like, "Hey, can we just get lunch?" And he um, initiated a conversation that was immensely impactful for me. He said, I just want you to know that I've recognized some specific skill sets and gifts in you you you're, you're great with students, you love students, you love your passion, uh, but also you think about things in ministry sometimes in just a different a different way i um I love ministry design, I love strategy and systems, and I loved being able to do that within a student ministry context he He took some time to elevate that out and say i just it, If God calls you into a youth position, awesome, but I don't want you to close the doors because it's not a youth position. I want you to explore what God has for you.
0: And it was about that time that he came back and Ryan and John and I met with him and said, we are actually going with the other guy, but we still want you because we see this in you. And that was right after that conversation. Mm -hmm. He says, it's interesting you're bringing that up. My mentor said to keep that open. And uh, one of the reasons that we need him is we've had several churches in the last few years come to us, their buildings are closed. As we have closing, we have these opportunities, but we have a dearth of leadership and equipping so that we could actually multiply. And we've had to turn down some places because we're not ready. And this guy Mm -hmm. is gonna get us ready to actually multiply. And there are people in this building that God has created with this entrepreneurial, send me out, I wanna go take risk, I wanna go start something new, and God's gonna stir your heart today, and there's gonna be opportunity for you in the year and years to come, and we wanna multiply, and this guy's gonna help us do it. Can we give him a hand as he takes us into the word of God here today? Thanks, Jason.
2: Um,
1: Before we get started, can I just pray for us? God, thank you so much for the chance that we have today just to... Center around your word to um, gather together as a community. God, we know that you, uh, you're you doing something new. I'm not here in, in Lowell, not just here, but in West Michigan, in the US and across the world. God, you are, are gearing us for a season of revival. You're gearing us for a season for the church to step in and be the church that we were called to be. So Lord, I pray for humble hearts today that uh, we would step under your word, ready to be sharpened and convicted as well well as encouraged, and God, as well as as just directed in what you're calling us to. God, we love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Um, Church, are you ready for the word of God? This is is our foundation for everything. It is the source of um, our direction, our conviction as a church. Everything that we do and say comes from the word of God, and the scriptures that he gave to us, and what God speaks to us in them. And so um, that's why we're here. We're in a series, like Jason said, it's called Wildfire, Um, and in a snapshot, this is a little bit of what we're chasing after. We want to invite you, as the church, to witness and explore the characteristics of the early church that set it ablaze in the world. We want you to look back at the first church and be able to see what distinct, what was distinct about that church and those 11 guys that Jesus gathered together after his, his death and resurrection. He gave them a mission, sent them out. How did that 11 become 2,000, become 5,000, become billions over the course of two millennia? Like, how did that happen so that when Jesus said it's moving, uh, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria all the way to the ends, of the ends of the world, what was it about those people that they were obedient in that allowed them to see God moving in, in an incredible way? Um, And so we just talked a lot, uh, not just about my story, but also just the story of this church, the heartbeat that this church had for multiplication. And multiplication, just so you know, know, when we talk about that, it's not a math term. Uh, We're talking about disciples who are making disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Multi-generational leadership, where we are raising people up to know Jesus and follow him. And that's something that is just, it's a dream and an aspiration for us to continue to do. And so as we're stepping in, my hope for today is that uh, this morning, you guys would see a kingdom that's bigger than your own, and that you would hear the Holy Spirit speak to you and direct you in how he wants you to participate in his mission in this world. And we're going to be exploring in the book of Acts, and what I think we'll discover is this, um, that the church multiplies when we value Christ's kingdom over our own. The church multiplies when we value Christ's kingdom over our own. And there's a couple of pictures that came to mind for me as I was preparing for this that I think are just helpful to set a framework. The first one is this. Um, This is a body of water that we call a pond. Um, Does anyone have a pond in their backyard or on their property? Handful. Growing up, I had a pond that was not unlike this one behind my house. And the reason that my brother and sister and I didn't swim in that pond um, was not necessarily because the pond didn't belong to us. Uh, the no trespassing signs in the woods, if anything, they just beckoned us further. <laughs> um, but in the little town of Saranac, I had this tiny little pond that, um, that our, my neighbors owned. And there, we didn't swim in it because it was nasty. Yeah. It was slimy. It was gross, there was green stuff growing all over it. It's not like we could pick up fishing and go fishing in it because there were no fish in it. There was, it, was, it was just dead, it was gross, the water was stale and stagnant, it was nasty. What I wish we had in our backyard, and maybe those of you who raise your hand had, had something like this. I wish we had this in our backyard. And as uh, November comes to a close and December is coming upon us, maybe the sunshine and some warm water, you look at that and you go, ah. Like throw a rope swing on there or like one of those big inflatable docks to jump off all summer long. Like that is awesome. Now, if I told you that there was just one critical difference between those two pictures, the two, those two different types of pond, that actually uh, caused one pond to be stale and gross and stagnant and another to look like that. What do you think that critical difference would be? Springs. I heard it over here, springs. This pond is connected to a spring. And not just a spring that's flowing water into it, but also it has a creek or a spring that is pulling water out from it, that it is sending water out. And that creates circulation. It creates a current that moves food in the sediment around so that fish have something that they can eat and grow in. Um, A current, a source, as well as a current moving away from it is the one difference you need in order to make sure that this pond is healthy. I have another picture of two bodies of water that that illustrate a similar thing. And I have it right here. Um, This, uh, man, you go ahead and put on your marine biology hat for a second if you like to nerd out like I do. Uh, This is what we call on the left um, an oxbow lake. And do you see the difference between the two? Once again, I wouldn't wanna swim in this I would want to swim in this, even though the current's probably too strong for me to do so safely. I would wanna kayak in this for sure. And if I kayaked in that, I would probably have to power wash my dad's kayak for the next three weeks to get the smell out. Um, it's the same thing. You can see the same, the, same, uh, the same thing at work where the current for the river is moving it through and then this is just stale water. But church, can you see what happened over time to make this Oxbow Lake actually form? this used to be a part of the river. Years ago, this river bent widely around and then came back around and then flowed down, continuing to go downstream. But over time, down at the bottom of the lake, sediment began to build up. Debris began to build up and it blocked the outflow and the current of the river, so much so that when the source continued to pour in and pour in and pour in, it, it flooded, it overflowed, and instead it created a completely new stream of current and separated that last body of water to remain stale and stagnant and disconnected. You guys see where I'm taking this? Um, I wanna stay on this image right here, and I want you guys to look. And I've got a couple questions for you. Um, which side best describes your heart today? Which side of this picture, and in, in your experience with the church in our culture, which side best describes your perspective of the church? Which side best describes our church? And that's the question that leads us to our conversation today, because we want to be a church that is a river. We wanna be a church that is, is uh, refreshing and thriving. Rivers, they, as they continue down their way, they're transformational. They change the landscape around them. We want to be a church that is transformational in our communities and our culture to bring people to know who Jesus is and transformed into his image. And there is, as we step into the book of Acts, it's clear that they were a river church. And so it's worthwhile to look at some critical moments and ask, where, did they, where were they at risk of becoming stale and disconnected and stagnant? And what decisions did they make to continue to move forward and be a part of the movement of God? And so today we're in the book of Acts chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up. Um, it's a really long passage. I'm gonna brace you guys for that. We've got a total of three verses that we're gonna read through. Um and as we're stepping in, there's, there's some tension in the story we've already teased. Does anyone love literary tension? Like I love, when you read a book, you pick up a book from the library, you read the cover and it's about a main character who's like, they're gonna go on this epic journey and be a part of a thing that changes the world after they leave their comfort zone and their home behind. And then you start the book and it's about a character and she's just like, really happy with her life and she's really excited about this boy who just proposed to her and they're going to get married and you finish out the first chapter and you're like, he's going to (laughs) die. Like they're going to kill him off. There's no way she can be this happy at the beginning of the book and then have that continue on because there's tension, right? You know what the book is about, but then you're reading and what the book is about isn't happening yet. Well, the book of Acts is about what Jesus said. You're going to be witnesses in Judea, uh, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. That's what, you're, that's what this book is about. And then we're at chapter 13. We've read 12 chapters so far. And man, the ministry in, in J- Jerusalem is kicking off. It is popping. As a matter of fact, they are spreading to the regions and the cities around them all the way up towards southern, uh, southern Syria. But they haven't really gone to the ends of the earth yet they're still waiting to actually fully step into the call that God has placed on the church. And so this is where we step in. Acts chapter 13, verses one through three. I have it right here on our screen, um, and I'd love your guys' help reading this along. I'm not gonna make it too hard for you. I'll I'll read through the passage, and anything that's underlined is your job. I want you to read that out loud. You ready? All right, verse one. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Good job. You guys, are, you guys are a little sharper than uh, our, uh, our Saturday night service, I have to say. Um, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and while they were... Oh, that almost got me. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Then after... They laid their hands on them and, awesome. This is, this is God's word. And it's, a, like I said, it's a short and a sweet story, but it's actually critical. It's a crucial moment in the church. And so we're gonna, we're gonna really just kind of take a microscope and, and, uh, and dive in. Um, if we could leave the verse up. Uh, in that first, uh, the first verse, it introduces us to some context. There's, there's five people who are the primary leaders of the church in Antioch. And these five people are gathering together. And if you've read Acts uh, up to this point and you're familiar with the story, there's two names that should be familiar to you. Saul and Barnabas. Uh, Saul was um, this man who just a few chapters earlier, he was was a persecutor of the church. He was the lead persecutor of the church that was grounding Christians up, throwing throwing them in jail so that they could be executed for their heresy. And then Jesus showed up and says, I have something else in store for you. And he becomes one of the primary leaders of the church. At this point in the story, Saul has spent the last three years studying, teaching, and preaching in the local church in Jerusalem. And then when that got heated, um, they sent him off to, to safety in this church in Antioch. The second name that should be familiar is Barnabas. And Barnabas is actually his nickname. It means son of encouragement. He's a support leader. Um, And the first first story that we see him in is in Acts chapter four, he gives this gift of radical generosity to the church as they're selling things and, they are, um, and they're supporting and, uh, and taking care of one another. The second time we see Barnabas is when Saul has come to know Jesus and first makes his way to Jerusalem. He stands before the disciples and they don't believe that his conversion is legit. They think he's trying to be like an undercover spy. And Barnabas is the guy that steps up and says, No. You have to hear his story. You have to know what Jesus has done in, in his life. This is legit. This is real. That's Barnabas. And so these guys, they're serving together. They are tight. They're about to go on a missionary journey um, missionary journey together. But they were two of these five key leaders. So moving forward into, into verse two, um, we read this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord, Holy Spirit came and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Um, pause for a moment. Because we actually, right here, we learned something that is pivotal to how the rest of the story takes place. What were they doing? Worshiping and fasting. Guys, this church in Antioch, they were a praying church. It was routine for them. It was normal for them to gather together and seek God's direction in God's presence. And that is the space that God speaks to them. Friends, prayer is how we hear from God and connect with the Holy Spirit. Prayer is how we talk to God and how God speaks back to us. And so when we live lives of prayer, we become more and more connected and in tune with the desire and the will of God in our lives. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses two and four paints a really, really great picture for us. Um, it talks about how, uh, it says, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That's awesome. I wanna have my mind transformed. I wanna experience transformation in the Holy Spirit. But there's a purpose statement that's attached to that, that sometimes we leave out in our memory verses. It's so that you may be able to discern God's will, his good perfect will. If I wanna know God more and I want to be more like God, I have to be connected with him. I have to be in spaces where I am in prayer with him. I have to be drawing together with my community, my life group, my church, and be worshiping in prayer with him saying, God, would you tell me what you desire for my life? And over time, as I experience that transformation, my heart begins to look more like God's heart. The things that God cares about, I begin to care about. The things that God desires, I begin to desire to. The things that break God's heart begin to break my heart. This church was a praying church. And because of that, it fostered a kingdom perspective because prayer does that. Prayer... Prayer fosters a kingdom perspective. It allows us to take our eyes off of me and my wants and my wills and my preferences and my circumstances and begin to see God work and move and speak in and around me. It begins to focus my my eyes on Jesus and his will and what he values. And so it's from that framework that we see God speak to the church. He says, Saul and Barnabas, you're going to send them away. And if you're like me, it's pretty easy to just kind of jump over to the next verse, right? Like we know what Saul and Barnabas are gonna do. We've been kind of anticipating this, we're waiting. But I think if we pause long enough and put ourselves in the shoes of the three other guys that are on that team together, you might actually realize how difficult of an ask that God is is bringing to them. These were two of five primary leaders for this church. So 40% of their lead or of their leadership team. God is saying, I want you to send them away. Not more than that, they were partners together, but they were also close friends. They would have shared meals together. They would have taken taken care of each other in crisis. They would have cried together. They would have celebrated together. Like their lives were entwined. They were brothers. And so I can only imagine their responses as they hear this. God, you want us to send Paul away? Well, for one, God, you do know that Paul is like one of our leading preachers in the synagogues. His ministry in the synagogues is bringing more and more people to the church every single day. We kind of need him here. You want us to send him away? Who's gonna take his place? And Barnabas, dude, Barnabas is a generous man. As a matter of fact, his giving makes up a pretty hefty percentage of our annual budget. Uh, what if Barnabas stays and Saul goes? I wonder if even Barnabas, his first thought was, okay, God, I knew that you were gonna send Saul out to go do something like that. Like everybody knows that he is like, he's the, he's the preacher's kid that everyone's looking at and going, you're gonna go and do great things. You've got a calling on your life. But that's not me. That's not me. What if I just, I mean, I'll write the check, I'll do whatever I need to do to support, but I don't think that that's that's what I'm wired for. If we know the rest of the story, those responses sound a little silly, right? But I guarantee you those are conversations that happen in churches all the time. They may even be conversations that you've had in in your home. I feel like God's stirring me towards something, but I don't think that's, that's not me. Because what, what they were feeling was this, they were feeling a loss and it is a loss. These were close friends that are gonna send them out. But what I know is that when my value is in my kingdom, my focus stays on what I lose. I start playing the math game. Uh, if I do that and I'm gonna lose out on this, this is gonna change, that's gonna be different, I'm not gonna get this anymore. And I think we all do this too. Think of an area of your life where you have influence. Maybe you're a life group leader here at the church. Um, maybe you are a team leader in the workplace. Maybe you um, have started a Bible study at your school with some other students and you gather together at lunchtime just to, just to be in God's word. Um, think of an area of influence in your life and then imagine if one, it's going really, really well. You're excited about it. And two, somebody that you're leading comes up and says, hey, I think I'm going to leave. Because actually, I think that I think the best thing for me to do is to go do what you're doing with other people. What's your first response? Are you defensive? Maybe you assume, like, I, did, I, did I offend them somehow? Do they just not like how I do things? Like, all right, you do what you want to do. That's cool. I'm going to do things my way. Maybe you start thinking, oh, but... If I don't have that person in my group or on my team, like what, I don't know if I can function without them. And it puts you into crisis mode. You worry about what's gonna change, not necessarily the opportunity that could come about from it. We all do this. And the thing is that you, if you view those things from, from a perspective of your kingdom, it's a losing scenario. It's a bad return on investment. I mean, Saul and Barnabas, them leaving, the church of Antioch, they get no kickback. They had no benefit for themselves if they sent those two guys out. It was just a loss for them. But they were a prayerful church. And so they didn't see things from that perspective. They had a kingdom perspective. And because of that, they, man, it, it rewrote the equation for them. Look at how they did respond verse 3 Then after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them so they affirmed them for their ministry and they sent them off that word for sending them off by the way in the Greek it's not like we appointed them to a new position or we we gave them a new calling it literally was to release or to dismiss they left but they affirmed them, they prayed for them because they knew the impact that would happen because of it. They, they, This change in the moment, it may have seemed like a loss for their church, but they knew the exponential gain it was for the church. Paul goes on in the rest of the book of Acts, details the churches that he planted, the leaders that he raised up and sent out, the, the ways that he suffered on behalf of the church and that he even encountered and sharpened the church as a whole to see a bigger picture of God's grace and God's kingdom. If Paul and Barnabas had not left, I don't know what God would have done to lead us to where we are as a church today. They were primary influencers and it was because they were willing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and say yes. Man, and even for the church, the the way that they showed their commitment to multiplying disciples, I think that's a testimony to how much they believe that the name of Jesus really does something in the world. Our commitment and our convictions to be a multiplying church, again, that means that we're making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Our commitment to that shows how much we truly believe in who God is and what he's called us to and in God's kingdom. I've got a question for you guys as you head out to to lunch. This would be a great one to sit and talk to with your spouse or some friends. Ask this question. Does your commitment to the mission of Christ's kingdom demonstrate your conviction in the power of the gospel? Because if you say that the gospel is powerful, but your actions don't line up with that, I think we have to go back to our hearts and say, do I truly believe this as much as I say that I do? In the church today, I think we've just misplaced our priorities. As passionate bands of Jesus followers, I think we've forgotten that it's actually Jesus that we follow and we've gotten really excited about church names and dynamic pastors and new strategies about the the politics of the world around us. We get really excited about issues and topics and people and things but we've lost sight of the fact that we are for the kingdom of God. A framework for you guys to be thinking through is this. What does it look like if I'm operating and valuing my kingdom, and what does it look like if I'm I'm valuing Christ's kingdom instead? I know if I'm valuing my kingdom, um, I, I focus on what I lose and what I gain. My focus is on playing the stock game. What do I get after the situation? What do I lose? If we're focused on Christ's kingdom as disciples and followers of Jesus and as a church, then we're gonna be asking what serves God and others best? What can make the biggest kingdom impact? And it doesn't matter how much we sacrifice, how much it costs, we're going to do it because we're gonna be obedient to what God has called us to. We're not gonna make decisions that are emotionally driven. This feels right in the moment or that scares me and so I'm gonna run away from it, but we're gonna make decisions based off of biblical conviction. God said to do this and I might not like it, it might scare me, I may not think I'm the best person for the job, but I know that God is saying, go do this and so I'm going to say yes and I'm going to do this. And that gives me a certainty, that gives me a confidence that what I'm doing is true to who God called me to be because I am, I'm finding it here in the word. I don't have to have doubts. In my kingdom, it's so easy for us just to be territorial. Have you ever found yourself talking with someone who goes to another church and no reason at all, but you catch yourself almost playing this comparison game like, well, yeah, my church, uh, they serve us coffee. Do you, uh, do you have to serve yourself coffee at your church? We, we attack each other over things that are preferential, like how do we worship and how do we serve and what does it feel like in the room instead of experiencing unity in the body of the church. That's why we're losing in the world around us because we don't know how to be unified together as sometimes this church and sometimes the church. In my kingdom, I become scarcity-minded. Yeah, but if I lose those people, I... I don't know how we're gonna work. If I lose that money, I don't know how I'm going to, to make ends meet and, and satisfy the, the, the vision of life I want. In Christ's kingdom, we experience radical generosity that comes from a trust that God will provide. In my kingdom, I hoard. I want to bring people around me. I wanna have bigger influence and a bigger name. In Christ's kingdom, it's less about me and more about God's kingdom and the people I'm sending out to be a part of it. So much changes when we are able to be in God's word that moves us from this place of valuing our kingdom and valuing the kingdom of Christ. Because here's what I know, the church multiplies when we value Christ's kingdom over our own. How are you valuing your kingdom over Christ right now? And what can you do in the next week to shift your priorities back into alignment with his word and what he desires for you? This matters. Why does this matter? Man, we want to be a church that is all about Christ's kingdom, and we have to talk about the needs in the church in our communities in order to do that. Um, I've got some stats for you. I want to show you guys a couple of graphs. Um, do we have any people who love statistics in the house? There's a few of you. Any of you guys that were like me and like slept through facts statistics and trigonometry senior year. Um don't worry. These are not these are not too hard to read, but I th- they're they're Convicting and powerful. Um, This is from a group called the Barna Group. They do church surveys. Um, They've done surveys in 2015, 2020, and 22, and they compared them. And this is the note I wanna draw from this. You see that middle line? In 2015, 66% of pastors said that they felt more confident about their calling than when they first entered into ministry. In 2020, it dropped down to 35%. And it hasn't risen in the last two years, last three years. 35% of pastors don't feel confident that that God called them to ministry in the first place anymore. Here's a bar graph for you too. Um, In 2022, 40% of leaders were at a high risk of burnout. That's up from 11% in 2015. 40% of our church leaders in the Church of America today are at a high risk of burnout having a catalytic or a a, um, cataclytic moment that burns them out of ministry or a moral failure. And look to the demographic research, the groups that are most affected, 51% of female pastors, 51% of female leaders in the church are at a high risk. If you know a woman in ministry, give them some encouragement, give them a hug, send them an encouraging text. We need them in the church. And over half of them are feeling like they can't take it anymore. Same thing, 50% of pastors who are under 45. So our younger generation of church leaders are ready to tap out. Guess what? They're the church leaders that are needing to be raising up the next generation of leaders right now. And they can't do that if they're in crisis mode because they feel like they're drowning. Um, 40% of pastors have given serious consideration to quitting. And this last stat, I don't have a slide for it, but I just want you to let this settle. 54 pastors disagree with this statement, that my church puts a significant priority on training and developing the next generation of church leaders. 54% of pastors are saying, yeah, my church isn't preparing for the next generation. And since they're the pastors of the churches, they're actually saying, yeah, I'm not preparing for the next generation that's gonna come after me. And I know what you're thinking. Max, this is a really good recruiting strategy. Sign me up. Like, that's the career that I want to be a part of, right? I, I want to be at risk of burning out. I, that's awesome. Those stats really make me want to sign up. But put on your kingdom perspective for a moment. And I think you'll draw this conclusion. The church needs spiritual leaders. The church needs spiritual leaders to rise up and to conquer ground for the kingdom. Those of us who are in vocational ministry and are standing strong, holding the front line, people are are leaving the lines behind us. And church, we need you to come up and stand with us. We can't do this on our own. The the era of ministry in which the pastors were were lifted up on a podium and did everything, that era, if it ever existed, it's gone. It didn't work. We need the church to be the church. We need you to rise up in your leadership and say, I'm going to step forward. I'm gonna stand on those front lines and I'm going to be a part of that, whatever that entails and whatever that costs, because that is the conviction that God has given to me. We are charged to make disciples who make disciples. And the thing is, when we talk about multiplication, when we multiply as a church, if we campus and church plant, as we create more opportunities for you to engage in the ministry and in your leadership skill sets. It it demands of us and staff, because guys, it's really easy for us in the workplace and over the course of the week to just think we can slip into, well, I just gotta get the things done. When we can't get it done in our own strength anymore and we have to rely on God to accomplish it and we have to rely on the church, that forces us to make disciples and raise up leaders. And that's what we wanna do. We wanna put ourselves in positions that force ourselves to multiply. And this 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 is why it matters too i got one more, one more slide I wanna show you. Um, this is a map, a region of, um, of the Grand Rapids area. You'll see those red dots. I, we pulled together a list of 950 addresses, households, that have um, been active in our church system in the last year. So if you filled out a form, if you went to the connections booth and signed up and said, I want some information, if you checked kids in, um, your home is represented on this list. And if you're like me, you might've seen that and gone, that's, that's a lot bigger than I thought. Guys, did you guys know that 33% of that list, active attenders, actually live in Lowell, Michigan? They have a Lowell address and are driving 10 minutes or less. 45% of our active attenders, sorry, 46% are driving 10 to 25 minutes to come here. of people in this room are driving more than 25 minutes, between 25 and 45 minutes. Guys, Lowell's not just represented here. Rockford, Saranac, Ionia, Grand Rapids, Wyoming. There are regions that we represent that need the gospel. Let me be clear. Your community needs the gospel. And we wanna be a church that raises you up and equips you. We wanna be, I mean, guys, we're committed to being a multiplying church. Our church is committed to being a multiplying church because your neighbors and your families, they need you. They need the gospel. They need to be able to have a space to worship God and know him and be challenged to be a part of his mission. Guys, our ability to see dramatic kingdom impact, dramatic kingdom impact, it solely relies on three things. One, we are fully dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Two, we are um, creating repeating generations of leaders. And three, we're partnered together with churches who are committed to doing the same thing. If we don't do that, we are destined to cripple our ministry and either watch the church in our community and in our culture continue to suffer, or continue to suffer because of us, or I think even worse, experience revival and thrive despite of us as we stand like that lake on the left side of the photo and just become stale and stagnant and disconnected both from our source and from our purpose as a church. So guys, we're passionate about this because we believe the emerging leaders in this church are here and in this room. I believe that for some of you guys, God is saying, set yourself apart for the work that I have for you. If you don't believe me, go read Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 to read your own personal call to ministry where Paul writes to the church and says, you are masterpieces designed by God for the works that I've already set out and laid before you. God has a purpose for your life that he is calling you to. Some of you guys are hearing God say, get ready, I've got something for you. Some of you are saying, I need you to be prepared to to make a move to step into something uncomfortable for your family, to be ready to sacrifice as a a couple, to be ready to to do something you don't think you're ready for as an individual. Because I want you to speak my name in the world around you. Some of you are getting ready to, and God is saying, I need you to, to, to make disciples and raise up leaders in your workplace and at your school and in your neighborhood. Take your experiences and your gifts and serve my church, my bride. I want you to serve them. And the best part is, you can do it. We want to resource you and equip you. But if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have everything that you need to do it right now and today. So, what's your next yes? A couple questions. The band is gonna play here in a second. And I just want you guys to, to stay seated and take some time praying through these questions. What's your next yes? Where are you getting in touch with God's spirit and voice? If you want to hear God speak, we have to be in spaces where we can. Jesus did it, he, he retreated to desolate places to hear the will of the father before he made any major ministry moves or decisions. If he did it, why do we think we don't need to? What are you being called to? What are you passionate about, gifted for? What do you dream for the church that you can actually be a part of seeing come to fruition? And what's hindering you? Is it pride? Fear of loss or change? Do you feel ill-equipped? What is it that's keeping you from taking that next step? Because here's something that I know. When God speaks, it demands a response. There is no standing by the sideline. You don't leave God on holds or leave him on red. When God speaks, it demands a response and your inaction too is a response. What will you say yes to? We're gonna take some time just to, just to worship together, stay in your seat and pray through this. And if you come to a point where you just need to stand up and declare the words of the song, I wanna invite you to do that, to say, God, I'm ready to say yes to you, let's worship.
2: truth cuts like an arrow I will say it I'm still
1: God, we are here. We are ready to be sent. God, you, we know we have what we need because we know that we have you. Send us. God, we love you in your name. Friends, I got one last thing as we close out today. Um, In a couple of weeks, we're going to be hosting uh, what we're calling a campus multiplication prayer night. We're going to talk about what it looks like for us to truly be sent out into our region, preparing to impact them for the gospel. And so if today was a catalyst for you, if you want more information on what this looks like, um, make sure you put this in your calendar. You can RSVP right there at the QR code. Um, It's going to be after our Saturday night service. If that's not normal for you, feel free to come to that service or just to come by, swing by at the end of it at 7.45, where we'll spend a little bit of time, one, just sharing, but two, we just want to pray together as a church. We just want to be in worship together as a church and say, God, what does this look like? We are, we are submitted to you in this next season. Um, so register, especially if you, want, if you are going to need childcare, we just want to make sure we can prepare for the best experience for your kids. Otherwise, either let us know you're coming or if you remember it, the day of, don't feel like you can't come if you didn't sign up. Church, we love you. Uh, We are excited for you and the mission that you carry into the world this week. Um, So God bless. You're dismissed.